So this morning's message, we are a family. We are people who love. Anybody remember that uh, the group, the Pointer Sisters? They were from Oakland, California, I guess. They sang a song, We Are Family. There was also another woman group called Sister Sledge. They sang the same song, We Are Family. So I looked up the words, and it has nothing to do with God at all. They have faith in each other. <laughs> but in the kingdom of heaven, we've been brought into a family. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, open your word to us this morning. God, help me to speak the words that you would have me to speak, God, so I can bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I've got an email from Zillow, the real estate uh, uh, website, yesterday. And uh, the, uh, Zillow is uh, uh, overly zealous and anxious to encourage uh, uh, people to you know, get the value of their homes and get what they want when they sell it and get a good home for when they want to buy one. Uh, however, they um, are joining in a National Pride Day. So now they invented this new word. It's not lo longer a neighborhood, but if you're uh, involved in that pride uh, movement, it's a gayborhood. It's like, what in the world? So here's their statement. We believe all people should live in a world where they feel valued, supported, and like they belong. I don't know about you, but I do not support homosexual marriage. From the beginning, it was not so. If you read the Bible, the way God designed us, men will never be women and women will never be men. It's called the X and Y chromosomes. It's science. No matter what kind of surgery you have, if you're born a man, you're a man. If you're born a woman, you're a woman. The chromosomes say so. Anything else is deceptive. Praise God. So we don't, I don't support that personally. I don't believe this church does either. But that doesn't say that we need, we need to be mean to people. We want to point them to Jesus and have Jesus touch their lives and open their eyes and see their real value is in their soul. Their real value is in uh, the price that Jesus paid to set them free from the bondage of sin and deception. Praise God. This is real love. You know, uh, I, every so often I think about the day I was walking down the street, minding my own business back in New York City. I think I was 20-some years old. Guy stops me on the street. says, anyone ever tell you God loves you? And I've told this story before, thinking inside myself, how could God love me? God doesn't love me because God's ready to punish me. And I didn't understand that God proves he loves us by sending his son. When we were meeting in Pastor Wayne's house, uh, one time we took uh, <clears throat> some of our other grandkids, and uh, when we brought them back home, one grandson tells his dad and mom, man, we had church in the house. It's like family. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be like. Praise God. So with that, our first scripture is John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, little children. Whoops, it should have been. Uh, oh, well, 33 is in there. We just want to go with 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
by this, this love for one another, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And last time I preached on this, I, uh, we looked at the uh, Greek word agapeo, which is the verb. <clears throat> Uh, for and this the Greek New Testament word for love, and it was a new word and a new concept. It had never been uh, manifested or heard of before Jesus came. And as you, as you've come to our Wednesday night Bible study, we're looking at the uh, evidence uh, uh, of the Bible and who Jesus is, and and very interesting thing that the author of the book, The Case for Christ. He was an investigative journalist, and he, he studied criminal cases. So he's looking at the, the Bible from, he was an atheist, and he's looking at the Bible from an evidence point of view, and he says one of the things that really intrigued him about Jesus is that when he taught, he didn't quote other people. Like most of the um, religious leaders of his day, you know, they have their Old Testament, but then they have all their books and commentaries that explain everything. And they kind of go off all of those books and commentaries instead of just the scriptures themselves. And uh, so Jesus, instead of quoting other people, he says, I give to you. By this all men who know that you also love one another. So Jesus is saying, Guess what, guys? I am who I am. I am because I can give you a new commandment. Isn't that awesome? Jesus just didn't say, you know, well, it says this and this. No, Jesus said, I say this. This is what you should do from now on. And so this word agapeo is the verb, and it comes from um, another Greek word, agon, which means much. And it means specifically, according to Strong's uh, dictionary, to love in a social or moral sense. And as compared to the other Greek word that was familiar already, phileo, where we get the word uh, um, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, which means to be a friend to, or that is to have affection for, and denotes personal attachment as a matter of sentiment or feeling. So the one is from the head, the other is from the heart. How many know you don't always feel love for people? <laughs> love is more than a feeling. Whoa, 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 more than a feeling. <laughs> love, real love, the kind of love Jesus is talking about, embraces the judgment and the deliberate assent of the will as a matter of principle, duty, and propriety. I'll say that again. Agapeo, according to Strong's Dictionary, or Strong's Concordance, complete concordance of Greek and New Testament and Hebrew words, comprehensive, it, that agapeo embraces the judgment and deliberate assent of the will. In other words, you have to decide to love people. Driving down the road and I see guys standing on the corner, they look like they could work. But they got a sign out or they're begging and it's like, God, I don't really want to give this guy any money. So I'm not going to. I wouldn't even look at him. I'm making a judgment. But God says, all of these people around you are worthy of my love and worth something in my eyes because Jesus died for them. And so it's a matter of propriety. I don't think I should pay for their permanent vacation. 
They should get a job. Can you say amen? But there are times when God does deal with me. Give. And so, the point is this. That God's love, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, is a deliberate decision of your will. Most of you know who Ravi Zacharias is. Very intelligent man. And I probably told this story before that when he was young, his mom called over in India, called the matchmaker, find me someone for my son. And his older brother said, what are you, are you nuts? What, what, if, what if they find somebody you don't like? And he said, he told his brother these words. He says, I'm going to choose to love whoever the matchmaker finds. I'm choosing. One of the things about marriage is that it has to be built on a solid foundation. If you know anything about construction, most of what's under the ground, you never see. But it holds the buildings up. I got an opportunity to work on what's called some tilt-up buildings. We pour the floor, then we put this chemical down, and we pour the walls, and the crane stands the walls up. We set them in place, and then... We pour the rest of the floor, and it holds it in place, and they weld it and all. And it's an interesting process, real quick and easy way to do things. But what's most important is the foundation and the placement of all the reinforcement inside the foundation. One of the strongest building materials known to man is concrete with steel inside of it, ferro-concrete. We build bridges. We build skyscrapers with it. Because the steel is strong, but if it bends, it'll stay bent. And the concrete's strong, but if it moves, it'll crack and break. But when you have steel inside the concrete, it's flexible. If you ever have a chance to, probably never have a chance to do this, but if you ever stand underneath the bridge and that truck goes across, you'll see the bridge bounce. If you go to the mall or something up on the second floor, stand on the handrail, and people walk behind you, you can feel the floor bounce. It's that resilience. That's why the foundation is so important because it absorbs some of that. Uh, when you have a, what they call a footing, normally if you have a lot of weight, you have to have a spread footing so that the weight's distributed so the building will stand up. But if you have what's called a retaining wall with pressure like dirt behind it, most of the footing is way, way behind the wall so the weight of the dirt on this side keeps the wall from falling over if it's not built right. It's a disaster. So the point is this, is that the foundation has to be right. The best foundation is Jesus, the chief cornerstone. When I talk to uh, some of the young guys uh, that I'm mentoring with the Carpenters Union, I try to explain to them and try to encourage them. Marriage is good. God blesses marriage. But your marriage has to be built on the right foundation. And what's so great about Jesus as the foundation of your marriage is that if you know how much God has forgiven you, you and your spouse have to forgive each other for everything. Amen. Praise God. So how does someone become part of a family? You're born into one. Did anybody ask to be born into a family? No, you have no choice. You're just born into the family. Now they've got birth certificates where you, you no longer check off if it's a male or a female. They get to choose when they're older. <laughs> Kathy said, oh man, well, I would have chosen to be a millionaire. <laughs> Me too. 
<laughs> Praise God. Jesus answered. He's talking to Nicodemus and said to him, most assuredly, in the most assuredly way he can say, I say, here again, here's Jesus saying, I say to you, unless one is born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. So to, be, to become part of a family, you have to be born. This born again, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary on the Bible, means to begin life anew in relation to God. So what happens is your manner of thinking, feeling, and acting with reference to spiritual things undergoes a fundamental and permanent revolution. Praise God. The Russian Revolution was wonderful for some people. The French Revolution was wonderful for some people. But a lot of people died and lost their lives because of those. The American Revolution was wonderful for some people, but not everybody. But the revolution, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, is permanent, supposed to be permanent. It's wonderful. It's great. It's a blessing for you and everybody around you, except for the enemy of your soul. It's not good news for him, for he's God. And so he'll try and fight you. But the Bible says that he's a defeated foe. And he's been disarmed. Hallelujah. And paraded about as a defeated foe. And I love the scripture in Isaiah, I believe it is, where it says, uh, when everyone sees him, they'll say, is this the one that made the nations tremble? Him? That wimp? Praise God. But he's a deceiver. So, this phrase, being born again, can also be translated being born from above. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, in the previous verses, Paul lists some of the things that people do that keeps them separate from God and the behaviors that separate people from God. And in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Say it with me. I'm washed. I'm justified. I'm sanctified. To be sanctified means you have been set apart by God for His service. God owns you. Did you know that? We've been bought with a price. You're not your own. God owns you. He paid for you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 5. Whoops. I guess I didn't give it in the notes. Verse 5 in John chapter 3. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why did he say water and the Spirit? As you know, in those days, John the Baptist was around. And he was baptizing people because God had sent him before Jesus to prepare the way. And John was baptizing people. So here they already knew about the water washing. Baptism for the repentance of sins. Praise God. So, here's this idea. Jesus said, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. You were washed. And this is nothing new. 
Because in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 and 26, I will sprinkle clean water on you, God says, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and you will be born again. God says, I will change you. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You remember when the, uh, <clears throat> the Pharisees uh, come to Jesus and they say, <clears throat> testing him, um, Jesus, Moses said we could divorce our wife for any reason whatsoever. Isn't that right? And Jesus said, yep, Moses said that you could do that. But the reason Moses said you could do that is because you guys have a heart of stone. So do whatever you want and pay the consequences, whatever. But Jesus tells us, and God tells us, and the Spirit of God says when we become uh, born again, He changes us and gives us a heart of flesh. Hallelujah. In verse 27, it goes on to say, I will put my Spirit within you. That's the miracle of salvation, the miracle of of, of uh that born again, born from above, new life is that God actually puts His Spirit within us. How many are always aware the Spirit of God is always in me and, and expressing Himself through me? doesn't happen to me all the time. Most of the time, I'm totally unaware of God's presence. But God wants us to be more and more aware of His presence because He has birthed us into His kingdom. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says these words, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me that He uses the word regeneration. Remember the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and preaches. And, uh, and, uh, and, and it says there's people from all over the world and as he's speaking, it says they're cut to the heart. What should we do? And Paul, Peter tells them, repent and save yourselves in the King James Version from this untoward generation. This generation, it's, it's people, uh, the mindset of the world that is at enmity with God, that is resisting, always resisting God and not wanting to have anything to do with God. It's, In other words, it's, fallen mankind. That's what the generation of uh, Jesus calls it an evil and idolatrous generation. It's people who are born into sin and we're all born into sin because of Adam. Wait till I see that guy. But being born again gets us out of that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Another way we can get into a family, is through adoption. Paul writes, he says, into the Romans in verse 15, chapter 8, you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If you don't speak in tongues and you've prayed for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, just get somewhere and say, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Just keep Saying it over and over again and see what happens. Adoption, according to Vine's dictionary, 
of Greek New Testament words is a term involving the dignity of the relationship of believers as sons. It's a place and condition of a son given to one to whom it does not naturally belong. So we've been given a new nature. And the interesting thing is only Paul uses this word adoption in the New Testament. Nobody else uses that word. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verses 45, and in also in verse 65, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. In verse 37, he also says, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So when God is dealing with people and drawing them, and, you're, and I are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and you talk to somebody about Jesus, and they say yes, it's because God has been drawing them. And the good news is, when God draws someone, He doesn't say, oh, forget it. You didn't come in time. God is eternal. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. God, speaking through the prophet, says, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. In Romans, I don't remember the verse exactly, but it says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the patience of God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all could come to repentance. In Life Bible College's uh, textbook, Foundations of Pentecostal Theology, adoption literally means placing as the Son. God addresses the same appeal to holiness and service to every Christian, regardless of the length of time he or she has been saved. So immediately, when you get saved, you're sanctified, you're adopted, you're braid brand new, and you immediately are fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. I've always heard it said that new converts are the lifeblood of the church. Get somebody really saved and they really get it. They go out and tell other people about Jesus and next thing you know, they go with it and they run with it. And Praise God. Immediately, God calls everyone that gets saved and says, you are holy now. And then they begin to work out their own salvation. But think about that. The brand new convert is as holy and useful for service to God as the oldest saint in the church. That's good news. Can you say amen? Praise God. Another way of, uh, oh, this is uh, where Jesus talks about the um, hardness of heart. And you get a new heart. From the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. This reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So the next way to get into a family is marriage. How many enjoy that famous movie, The Princess Bride? My favorite movie. The bishop gets up and what's his name is going to, Humperdinck is going to marry a, a Buttercup and the bishop gets up and he starts his speech. Marriage! <laughs> a dream within a dream. A blessed arrangement and 
Humperdinck just goes, the same man and wife. Man and wife. Looks at him and goes, man and wife. And then uh, man in black, Wesley gets up there and he, and uh, uh, Buttercup's going to kill herself. And he says, we didn't really get married. What do you mean? You didn't say, I do. Ha! <gasps> ah, revelation. You have to say, I do. I am willing to be married to this man or this wife for the rest of my life. Come trouble, come blessing, for better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health, till death do us part. Hallelujah, man and wife. By the power vested in me, by the state, I now pronounce you man and wife because you said I do. I am willing, both of you. Yes, it's an agreement. And then you, God, it says here, God has joined them together. Let not man separate them. What about, you know, we got divorced and blah, 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 and all this. And when you're born again, it's all under the blood. It's washed away. If you're not married now, don't worry about it. Just serve God. That's the easiest thing. Praise God. Psalm 68, verse 6. God sets the solitary in families. When I came out to Arizona, I'm the only one of my family out here in Arizona. All the rest of my family is back east. I have a cousin somewhere in Montana. I've got a cousin in uh, Utah. I've got a, a cousin in California somewhere. And I've got a cousin somewhere in Texas. And all the rest are back on the east coast. <clears throat> I come from a very large family. I have about 50 cousins on both sides of my family, over 100 cousins or so. I don't even know them all. And now they've got kids and grandkids. It's like, oh, my goodness. But I was solitary. When I, I was alone by myself when I came out here. And I prayed for a wife for about three years. And thank God that he knows what's good for us. And he blessed me beyond my expectation. And I got not just a wife, but a family. God sets the solitary in families. And God has blessed us and helped us. <clears throat> so, here's a very important part about marriage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. There was a, uh, a man named St. John Chrysostom. He was the patriarch of Constantinople between the years 398 and 404 A.D. He was known as a Greek church father. Listen to what he wrote about Christ gave herself for the church. He says, have a solicitude. And this is a fancy word meaning an anxiety or concern. It means, uh, it comes, it's related to the word solicitous, solicitous, which means to be full of anxiety or concern as for the attainment of something solicitous of our goodwill. We'll use it in a sentence. So Jesus was solicitous of our souls when He went to the cross. He wanted to see souls saved. He was full of eager desire to see souls saved. In Hebrews it says 
Let us uh, run the race with patience. Let's looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So have a solicitude, he says, for, the, for your wife as Christ has for the church. And if necessary, to give your life for her or to be cut in 10,000 pieces or to endure any other suffering, whatever, do not refuse it. And if you suffer thus, not even so do you do what Christ has done. For you indeed do so already being united to her, your wife. But Jesus did so for everyone that treated him with aversion and contempt and hatred. So also act towards your wife by much thoughtfulness, love, and kindness. Is it easy? Ask my wife. (laughs) Not always easy. But there's a reward. It's a blessing. Love your wife. Because it goes on to say that you know, no one ever yet hated their own self. Of course, you know, you feed yourself, you comb your hair most of the time, brush your teeth. You take care of yourself, take care of your wife too. Hallelujah. Love your wife, love your kids, love your church. And then we'll conclude with this love. That's what this whole sermon is about. We're people who love. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't fake it. Abhor. Be disgusted with what is evil. Cling to what is good. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Preference. Vine's Dictionary says it's the opposite of prejudice. It means to take the lead. See who can outdo each other in being kind. (laughs) What a contest. Oh, I'm kinder than you. No, I'm kinder than you. Remember Chip and Dale, the chump monks? Oh, I thank you. No, 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 I thank you. No, 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 I thank you. On and on and on. It's not, not nonsensical like that. It's practical. The gospel is practical. Be kind to one another. Hallelujah. Giving honor and preference to one another. Hallelujah. God is good. And He loves us so much. And He's building this church. And we're a part of it. And I'm excited. Who knows what God's going to do in the future? Who knows what's coming out of this little church here? Be faithful. Love one another. And let's see what God's going to do. Keep praying. We had an awesome time in the prayer room this morning. Praise God. Uh, I just want to say that, you know, on the day of Pentecost, it said that they heard a sound as a mighty rushing wind. And the other night I was at home and I heard a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And I looked out the window and the trees weren't moving. And I said, praise God. God's on the move. Look for it. Be expecting to see God saving people. Talk to people. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them how much He loves them. And let's see what God will do. Praise God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer.